You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast, your number one source for hunting and shooting in the great outdoors. Sit back and relax as we interview some of the most experienced outdoorsmen in the industry today. You will learn valuable tips and tricks that you can use on your next hunting trip into the field to make you a more successful hunter. Now here's your host, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Selms, and today very, very pleased to announce the Honourable Robert Borzak, member of the Legislative Council and representative of the Shooters and Fishers Party. Uh, Before we get into my interview with Robert Borzak, I just thought, again, I'd mention to you guys, we are on Facebook. Uh, Search us in the top uh, search bar there. Uh, Like the page, you know, post up anything you guys want, Uh, photos, videos, hunting stories. It's always great to see what other hunters and shooters are doing. Uh, We're also on iTunes, so if you go to the iTunes store in the search bar, you can search the Australian Hunting Podcast. Uh, and subscribe to our automatic feeds. So every time a new episode is uploaded, uh, it will automatically come on every time you open up iTunes. You can download it to your iPod, your iPhone, and and listen to it whenever you guys like. Uh, We're also on Twitter as well. So you can go to Twitter and type in AH Podcast and uh, subscribe to our Twitter page as well. Also, if you want to email us, you can email us at australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to send us any uh, you know, hunting stories or any questions or um, find out who we're going to have on the show or recommend people that we, we, we should have on the show, feel free to do that and we'll uh, see if we can get some of those people on the show. Uh, also, too, we are looking for sponsors to the show. So if anyone wanted to be a sponsor, you know, uh, giving away gear to listeners uh, that we may end answer questions for again please email us at australian hunting podcast at gmail.com so again we are looking for sponsors uh any way you can help out is always fantastically uh appreciated i mean i do this uh, podcast on my own back in my own time uh, it does take a long time to edit. does take a long time to, uh, you know, interview and email all the guests. So any help uh, is appreciated. Let's get into my interview with Robert Borzak of the Shooters and Fishers Party. Hi, this is Robert Borzak from the Shooters and Fishers Party, and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Selms, and today I'm very pleased to announce the Honourable Robert Borzak, member of the Legislative Council, and he represents the Shooters and Fishers Party. Robert has made time in his busy schedule to come on the show and answer some of your questions about your rights to legal gun ownership in Australia. So without further ado, let's bring him on the show. Robert Borzak, welcome to the show, sir, and thanks for making time to come on and answer some questions for us. Yeah, hi, Jason. It's my pleasure. No problem at all. So let's get started. I know a lot of people have been waiting for this podcast and really, you know, how their votes counted during the election. So before we get started on some of those questions, just give us a bit of a uh, personal background on it. How did you get into hunting or shooting? Was it a family tradition or something you just took up on your own? Well, really, yeah, there's no family tradition involved that I know of. Um, I just got interested in it. Uh, basically, I saw a magazine in the school library. It was an old um, Australian outdoors magazine, I think it was. And I had a picture of some people who'd been uh, uh, pheasant shooting on the front cover. And I thought, geez, I'm interested in that. And uh, I read it, uh, then started to save some money to buy my first shotgun, and away I went. That's how I got started. Yeah, really? So what, what yeah. was your first shotgun? 
Uh, I've still got it. It's an old uh, old Savage single single barrel. Um, I can't tell you what model it is, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it's an old ejector model. So, all right, you're getting into the next. How 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 was the result in the election? Uh, you know, did the the party achieve what it what it initially had set out to achieve? I think um, we, by and large, achieved the primary goal, and that was getting uh, Robert Brown re-elected. That was very important. Um, we achieved a, a 41% increase in our primary vote, which was even better still. Uh, but we didn't achieve what we really set out to achieve, and that was to get a second person elected along with Robert. Um, that, and I think that was probably largely to the fact, down to the fact that um, uh, we saw coming out of the woodworks people like Hanson, who took 91, 92,000 primaries away. And I wouldn't for a moment suggest that we would have got all those votes anyway. Uh, the fishing party, uh, they just, after initial indications that they weren't going to run at all, uh, came into the fray, and I think they ended up with around 56, 57,000. And then we've got the Outdoor Recreation Party, which God knows what they stand for or what they do, but if you added all those extra votes, to, um, we ended up in a situation where uh, if we'd have had them, we might well have got ourselves with a few prefs uh, in a position of getting a second one up. But anyway, that's the way it goes. We are very happy with the way we did in terms of the uplift of our vote and the increase of our primary uh, primary vote, which I might add it was also uh, back in 2007, we had nearly a 40% increase at that time as well when Roy got elected. So that was, a, that was a fantastic result. So if you go back to 2003 to where we are today, um, we basically doubled our vote. Yeah, no, that's that's good news. Uh, so, in the election, was there any, would you say, lobbying to win over any non-shooters or hunters in their electorates, or? Well, yeah. If you if you actually have a look at the, uh, if if people are interested in, actually, and probably a lot of the people listening to your podcast will have done it already. Go on to the Shooters and Fishers uh, website. You'll see that there's uh, the four very comprehensive. Uh, for example, one of the key ones is free access for all. That's important. But also, we've got one dealing with natural resources. We've got one dealing with social issues. Um, and if you follow those through to the nth degree, you'll see that, that we're a much wider based party these days than we were 15 or 16 years ago. So we're, we're always looking for opportunities to advocate for uh, special interest groups, whether they're Sydney-based or uh, outside of Sydney, um, who maybe are being overlooked by the larger parties and just being treated as flotsam and jetsam. So how does, say, the Shooters and Fishers Party view say, Australia's future in regards to gun ownership and laws, laws say, you know, over the next 5, 10 and 20 years? Oh, look, I think, I think our position is that uh, what we want to do is see that there's no um, further deterioration in the, uh, in the laws um, around Australia and certainly in New South Wales. In fact, what we are interested in doing, and I've got a bill about the, the Parliament actually today um, on some more amendments to the New South Wales Firearms Act, to uh, make it easier and better for firearms owners in New South Wales. The idea being that uh, we remove a lot of the, the more difficult and the more useless uh, detail in the, in the legislation that just is designed, I suppose, through omission or not to make life more difficult for shooters just going about their lawful activities. Yeah, no, exactly. And so I guess that probably goes to the next question. How does you know, the Shooters and Fishers Party plan to counter the Greens you know, plan to chip away at firearms ownership use and also, you know, with organisers, organisations such as, you know, the uh, gun control organisation, those types of outfits? Well, I think, I think the way we do it is pretty much the way we have been doing it in New South Wales and that is uh, be strong and upfront advocates for firearms ownership and, and the legal rights of firearm owners. Um, we, we in New South Wales 
uh, based in the upper house at the moment, have very strong positions because of the way the uh, the votes have fallen, and certainly in this current four-year term, the Greens are going to be are going to be very very marginalised. They're not really going to be in a position to make much difference at all. If if the uh, O'Farrell state government wants to get things done, then they're more likely to want to come and talk to us and and the Christian Democrats than they are to go and want to talk to the Greens. Certainly, it's not a good look in New South Wales, given the strong performance we've had in the last two elections, to be seen to be attacking shooters and shooters' rights. You know exactly. I mean, is that so? You would say that is that is that a, a really good position for us to to be in, like better than we've been previously? Oh yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I think we're in. I think we're probably in about the best position we've been in for the last sixteen years that we've been in this place. Um, potentially, uh, it's of course what we can do with it now that really counts. And look, politics is the art of the possible. It's not the art of the impossible. So asking for impossible things, you'll never get them. What we have to do is uh, go through the process of putting together a legislative changes that are go- we are going to be able to achieve and uh, fixing up and tidying up the, the, the gun laws in a series of amendments over the next four years uh, is important and we'll, I think we'll achieve a lot of that stuff. Um, looking at um, improving and streamlining uh, the Game and Feral Animal Control Act for the Game Council type stuff, that's also an important thing for us. Uh, and there's a whole lot of other areas where we'll we'll work cooperatively with the government in trying to get a better result for um, rural and regional New South Wales, and certainly the taxpayers of New South Wales. One of the uh, I was looking on the website uh, some weeks back, and it's like, how strongly will the uh, the Shooters and Fishers Party push to allow hunting in, say, the national parks? Well, it's going to be a, a very, very uh, heavy and hard push. Um, that particular amendment um, to the to the Game and Fair Animal Control Act is in, included in uh, Robert Brown's bill. He's given notice of the bill in the House already. If they're on the record of saying they don't want to do it, well, that's fine. They can be on the record and say they don't want to support it. Um, but then they might find it difficult getting support out of us on various issues. We're, we're not, and it's not a matter of trading bills. We're not going to do that. We're not in the business of trading one for another. What we're in the business of is is arg- arguing logically and properly uh, on why feral animals uh, and certain game animals shouldn't be controlled in national parks where they're not controlled properly now and at a cost that the taxpayer in New South Wales can afford to pay. No, exactly. You got, yeah, you got some fantastic points. I'm a member of the Game Council. Be, I guess anyone would be, I mean, everyone's happy with you know, being able to you know, either go into a state forest or even national park. I mean, the more you know, recreational hunters can get out there and make a difference is quite a, uh, hopefully would be you know, quite a significant if that's able to be passed through. That's right. That's right. And I was going to say, an access to the national parks is just a logical extension of that. Yeah, exactly. How, how strong has the opposition been against that so far? Oh, I think if you if you go back to um, what's nearly two years ago now, well, the last time the bill was on the table when Robert and Roy were trying to negotiate it with the then Labor government, the reality is that they had actually done a deal. Uh, they'd done a deal to allow us into, I think, over over sixty, seventy national parks in New South Wales. Uh, and also for the reintroduction of duck and quail shooting at that time, but um, it was just the fact that, well, no, not just the fact, but there were there were issues are obviously around that government at that time that made them basically lie and cheat and renege. Was that the uh, was that the Rees government at the time? It was the Rees government, yeah, and 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 they they uh, even though they, deals were done, they were uh, unable to or unwilling to finally. Um, 
come to some final agreement as to what they were prepared I to support. I think that might have been on the uh, day he actually stepped down too, as far as I can recall correctly. Well, he, he, he went public at the end of it as, a, as, as part of a process of, here's one for you boys, in your, here's one in your eye, uh, from a payback point of view, um, which, is, um, which is unfortunate, put it that way. So getting on the next question, so getting some of the laws, is there any interest in, say, following Tasmania's lead uh, and looking into move, moving, say, Category C? I know the rating for, especially in regards to pump-action shotguns, to Category A or B in line with, say, pump-action centrefires, obviously due to the changes back, you know, around the 96 era? Oh, look, that's not a live issue here in New South Wales. Um, I suspect that if we were to put that one up in New South Wales, they wouldn't support it. Uh, anyway, um, it's not something that we have done. I mean, I, I'll, I'll believe it happening in, when I actually see it happen in Tasmania. Um, you know, I know there might be some talk of it, but I, who knows whether it actually does actually happen or not. I'd, I'd, before I can make a proper comment, I'd have to see whether it actually does happen or whether this is just an exercise in kite flying by the Tasmanian government. So what about in regards to the Shooters and Fishers Party looking at current pistol laws? Is there any, are they going to keep those, are they looking, keeping those the same or I wouldn't say relaxing, but I'd say like looking at changing them to making it more appropriate for you know, people wanting to get into the sport? Well, I think I think what we'd be doing is uh, certainly keeping them the same, and also looking for opportunities to introduce uh, minors to the sport uh, earlier and better. I think there's a lot of opportunity. Pistol shooting is becoming a very, very popular uh, activity in New South Wales, and uh, what we'd be doing is looking also to increase the opportunity for pistol shooters to be able to shoot. In other words, uh, working with the government to try and set up more ranges for them to be able to go and use, and whether they're uh, whether they're double S double A or you know other other uh, clubs is, is is of no real relevance. What we'd be lobbying for is the government to be make access to uh, more ranges, uh, whether they're pistol or otherwise, uh, more readily available. And we'd be looking to put put it to the government that they should be funding those arrangements. Speaking on what we were just speaking about before, will there be any move to say uh, reintroduce you know a duck season or a quail season um, like they have in you know uh, Victoria and South Australia etc. But uh, I know there's obviously been a lot, especially down in uh, Victoria, the last you know few months during the season. There's been quite a number of issues with you know protesters and that type of stuff. Is that hindering or is that possible in the near future? Are we looking at that or? Well, we we certainly are, and it's uh, we certainly want to. To uh, to bring um, you know wide scale uh, duck shooting back into New South Wales and also the reintroduction of quail shooting and I might I might add also uh, on a sustainable usage basis uh, the introduction of some shooting of some other uh, potential good potential game species there are uh, some of the uh, the, um, the the native pigeons for example uh, could be shot quite successfully and sustainably bred uh, on private property for good, some very good shooting to be had and uh, there's no reason at all why this shouldn't be done and those changes were, were in the original bill that Brown put forward two years ago and they're still in the current uh, bill that he's going to be pushing forward in, later this year. So when will you know that? Obviously, we're looking at a few years yet before even that would be even tenable to look at. Or well, well, we 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 think that we should be able to bring it forward uh, later this year. But as to the exact timing, look, in the end of the day, it's not. We cannot uh, bring those things forward without government cooperation. Uh, government's bills always take precedence. Uh, unless you have the co the cooperation of the government in the house, you can't bring a private member's bill forward. 
and do anything with it. It could sit there for four years and, and lapse. You couldn't do a thing with it. I can imagine too we might get some you know heavy resistance from other parties as well in regards to that. I can imagine. Well, I, I, look, I would think the Labor Party certainly in the space they're in at the moment, they would resist it. Uh, but and the Greens, of course, would would do as well. But um, you know, if if our bills go forward and uh, get passed, um, the government has the numbers in the upper house with our support and with uh, the Christian Democrat support. And the Christian Democrats have indicated to us that they'll be supporting us. So uh, I guess that's great news and really good news, isn't it? I, I'd say. Yeah, it is good news, and uh, again, it'll be better news once we get the bill in and we get it passed. Um, at the moment, it's on, it's it's on the agenda. As I say, Robert's uh, given notice of the bill in the House. Uh, it's now just a process of working on it. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I've got a uh, a firearms amendment bill that's about to come through the Parliament. Um, it'll get probably through the second read today, and then we'll see where it goes. There, I haven't got everything I wanted, but I've got some stuff. Um, I don't want to talk about it just yet till it goes on the table, but uh, so people, could, when it comes available, people will just be able to go on the website and and find out more information when it comes available. Yeah, they will, they will, and and look and look basically, and there's and there's a whole plethora of other things that aren't in that bill that are now I'm going through and negotiation with the government um, and includes uh, all sorts of interesting things. That, uh, a lot of it's. Um, down to just, as I say, making and streamlining and getting rid of a lot of the red tape that's in the system at the moment. Uh, but there's also some other stuff there to do with, uh, uh, for example, uh, moving, currently it's illegal to even drive on a public road through a national park with a firearm in the boot, which is complete rubbish. That's got to be fixed. Um, uh, and there are, there are other things like that. There's just little things that the old, old government simply wouldn't do it. Uh, but... Uh, uh, yeah, feral people are basically saying that they're they're sympathetic to it. They just want to work through the issues, and so we'll work through through with those issues with them and uh, see where it takes us. Yeah, fantastic. Well, hopefully we see more on that very very soon. Um, so, as a former New South Wales Game Council chairman, what were some of the major achievements you made uh, during your tenure tenure there? And was it hard to transition, say, over to you know, the political arena of the Shooters and Fishers Party? Uh, well, just taking your first question first, um, uh, made, I suppose the major achievements were the fact that uh, we did manage to negotiate and get up and running the council in the first place. Um, I mean, the, the getting the legislation in place was one big thing, but what most uh, shooters and hunters wouldn't realise in the first two years of the council, even after the legislation and regulations were in place, we simply couldn't get the cooperation of Forest New South Wales to do any of this, and it was... Um, it was a really big job uh, of just playing hard hard yards to actually um, belt out, bash out, um, meld out, if whatever you want to call it, uh, the program with forests because there was a, um, a bureaucratic inertia in that organisation that didn't want to allow us into a broad-scale forest hunting. They wanted to limit us to you know one or two forests here or there. Um, that was never the uh, the planning or in scope or intent, and even they had trouble getting the bureaucrats sorted. So, getting the rollout of over 400 forests was a huge achievement over, uh, uh, I think, basically over a couple of years. And there still are some small ones being rolled out, uh, even today, um, getting them declared and then getting them available. I think the probably second major achievement was to get the uh, to do a business plan about four and a half years ago uh, with. Uh, Brian Boyle and the team down there, a four-year business plan that put the put the council on a very steady and sturdy uh, financing uh, 
base coming from government, which put a plan in place that uh, set, set in train um, the policy and direction for the growth on the sale of licences and put in place the uh, the culture of the organisation that said that it was there as a service to hunters in the state. It's not there to, not there for any other purpose other than to uh, add shooters and hunters in the state and to service them and provide them with as many opportunities as they possibly can to go out and uh, take uh, public land opportunities to kill as many feral animals and also hunt and control as many uh, game animals as they can in the state. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fantastic. I mean, when I first started, I... Uh uh, join the uh, game council, and I think for the, the you know the fee they're offering to the amount of land you, you're able to hunt. I mean, it's just it's just fantastic. Previous to that, I mean, you had to either know someone or, you know, I just you know I've I've shot several, you know, ferals off uh, state land. And I I think it's absolutely fantastic, and people should go and look at it as a viable option. You know, to, you know, a to get out and hunt. I mean, even if they you know go with their children, you know, get them out, get them off the computers, get them off the playstations, and get them out, you know, doing family activities. So. That's right, exactly, and 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 there's a, there's a bigger growing market for these activities, uh, certainly in the Sydney metropolitan area. Um, that's where the biggest potential for growth is in the long run, given the size of the city, are looking for opportunities to go hunting, and uh, if we can provide them with a properly regulated program, uh, with a, with a proper training opportunities through uh, various hunting clubs. Uh, people are going to go out and hunt in state forests and the national parks is just the logical extension of that, that's all. Um, people will go out and hunt in national parks for uh, feral animal control purposes. No one at any stage is interested in uh, looking at or even advocating for national parks to be places where native animals should be shot. That's just, that was just a furphy that was run up the flagpole two years ago when the, when people were trying to, uh, and certainly parts of the media were trying to shoot this excellent proposal down. Um, yeah, in the next part of that question, so do you say it's been a, what's what's the transition been like from Game Council to the Shooters and Fishers Party? Uh, well, it, it was it was interesting because the Game Council was very much um, a non, uh, non-full-time, uh, you know, part-time activity that was basically done as a labour of love. I didn't get paid for it at all. Apart from about six or seven hundred dollars a year in sitting fees, and that was it. Whereas um, the sudden move into uh, into Parliament uh, with with uh, the unfortunate uh, passing away of my good friend uh, Roy Smith last year right. was sort of a bit of a culture shock. Um, although I've been involved in the party for well since 1993, I was 92 or 93 when I first joined. Uh, I've been chairman of the party for many, many, many years, um, and I'm still currently chairman of the party now. So even though uh, culturally things are different, uh, I now am in here sort of four days a week for for uh, a number of weeks a year, uh, sorry, a number of weeks a month and so on. Um, I, I didn't have that same uh, strict agenda put on me, obviously, when, running, when I was working with the Game Council because it wasn't a full-time employed position. All the councillors are... Only, volunteers and uh, the council itself sets policy whereas the uh, Brian Boyle and his team they actually do the hard yards on the ground of implementing the policy of the legislation and the council so yeah it, 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 it's been a big change um, it's certainly different um, to what I thought it would be um, I'm finding it very interesting um, I like engaging with people uh, especially in this in this term after the election in March uh, being in a 
I had some people in here actually from the Malabar Horse Riders this morning just before you came on and they came in to see me to talk to me about uh, ways and means with which we might be able to work with them to help them uh, sort out their problems out at Malabar um, at the range there because as part of the Malabar users group they're being thrown off the range at the same time and so it was interesting to meet all sorts of people from all sorts of diverse uh, walks of life and uh, and talk to them and listen to their to their issues and their policy. We can't obviously help everybody all the time, um, and there's some people that we just wouldn't help anyway. But on the other side of the coin, um, if we can offer a hand, we will do it. I mean, politically, it's important for people to know and understand in the general public out there that despite what um, may have been uh, thrown at us by the media since 1996, uh, we're not the the, the gun-toting redneck rat bags that uh, some people would uh, want to project us as. Um, we, we, are, we are ordinary uh, professionals, working people, uh, family, you know, family people who happen to like hunting and shooting and it's a valid, legal and necessary activity in our society and that's what we're all about in this party is projecting it as such. As I was saying to a friend just recently, I mean, some countries and some cultures, this is what people grew up on, and it's 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 what the the culture is based on. You know, sending things down through the you know, family members. It's it's quite you know, prestigious, sort of. You know, I wouldn't say accolade, but I would say it's part. Yeah, you know, it's part of it. You know, so that's right. And it, look, it still is in Australia. And what we're doing is certainly building a new progressive uh, strand of that those activities um, in our society now. Um, what we're doing is is not new. But what we're doing is putting a, uh, a new face to it all. Uh, voluntary conservation hunting is a very important part of controlling the major feral animal population in New South Wales. And uh, if you take, if you just take a step backwards and say which of the two countries that have got the biggest feral animal problems in the world, and there are only two that got major problems, and they are Australia and New Zealand. But in New Zealand, you can hunt in national parks. In New South Wales, you're not allowed to. Why? A lot, a lot of things are different in uh, New Zealand, that's for sure. <laughs> well, they don't need to be. So New Zealand is well ahead of the pack with their progressive processes and programs. We're well and truly behind the eight ball here in, in New South Wales and other parts of Australia because people are running to a, a green protectionist regressive uh, program. I think, I think in New South Wales, certainly the Greens um, aren't going to be able to hold their weight in the future politically. I don't see their arguments prevailing in the long term. Yeah, yeah. So speaking, going into the, the laws, you know, do you think, say, John Howard's, you know, reactions to, say, the Port Arthur, Port Arthur incident were justified or was it really, you know, just a knee-jerk reaction to public, you know, and media outcry? I, I, don't, I, I don't think what he did was justified. Um, I don't think it's... Uh, uh, the way he did it um, was convenient at the time. It, it wasn't a knee-jerk reaction, although uh, initially um, it may be seen to be that way. They had they had the laws all written and all planned and sitting on the shelf. All he had to do was reach up once he was told that they had this stuff ready to go, reach up and take it out and uh, and run with it. And they put the agenda in place and away they went. Um, I I think it was a massive amount of overkill and a massive waste of taxpayers' money. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people have a problem with the you know I guess with the laws as you know as such. But you know I guess well, what always what always happens is. We always adjust our expectations and the management of our day-to-day -day lives within the laws that they keep putting on us. So what happens in the long term is every time they take something away, oh, I can live with that. They take this away, oh, I can. There's another restriction, oh, I can live. I can. You know, if I turn myself inside out, 
and breathe through my ears, I can survive. And, that, and that's the way you end up doing things, and that, that's what's got to be stopped. Yeah, exactly. I think some people take a little bit and a little bit away. Um, you know, eventually, I mean, as I know, shooters are very worried about at the moment from a lot of you know, questions that I feel, saying if, we, you know, if we're not trying to fight for more as such, you know, and we're trying to hold on to what we've got, eventually we'll, you know, we'll lose what we've got because we're not fighting for more. So if we're fighting for more, you know, hopefully you know, in a way we can actually keep what we've got, so to speak, you know? Or what we have to do is fight for more. There's no question of that. But it doesn't mean we need to fight for the same as we had before. What we need to do is fight, fight more, fight for more, with progressive uh, policies and progressive uh, attitudes. Uh, going back to what we used to do 100 years ago, or even 20 or 30 years ago, isn't going to take us forward. I mean, New South Wales, and I'm, I'm a hunter primarily at heart. Uh, New South Wales, from a hunting point of view, was a disaster zone as far as I was concerned. So part of what my reasoning in life has been all about is if I can create more hunting opportunities uh, and make this place a better hunting uh, destination, if you like, then everyone and all shooting is going to be uh, the better for it. I guess it's just sometimes it's, you know, I guess hunters and I mean shooters and I just feel a bit disappointed that, you know, I mean, obviously it's terrible what happened in Port Arthur and, but the, you know, the, the actions of one, you know, person that may have been a bit mentally unbalanced cause, you know, the, I guess the, the major issue that it is today and um, I guess things might have, should have, maybe could have or, you know, should have been done a little bit differently, I guess, but uh, that's how things go sometimes, I guess. Well, that's right. And look, it's no use looking backwards. It happened. Um, the government massively overreacted, wasted a hell of a lot of money, destroyed uh, some beautiful firearms in the process. Howard then pulled the same stunt again with big caliber pistols um, um, a few years ago. Was it 2008 or 2000, whatever it was? Um, same thing, all part of an agenda, okay? And what we have to do is just look for every opportunity to fight that agenda because a disarmed Populist, and I'm not even talking from the American perspective, uh, the disarmed populace is an indication of a populace that is no longer free. Yeah, no, I've, I have read that before. It's quite, yeah. a, quite a good, interesting quote. But, and it's also, I mean, I think most uh, hunters, shooters and fishermen and even the general public, I mean, would be happy with, you know, people, you know, breaking the laws with firearms that, you know, get heavy penalties. I've got certainly got no problem with that. I mean, I think the people that are doing the right thing, you know, should have access. For, and if, you, if you're caught doing the wrong thing, I mean, you, you are, you know, dealt with accordingly to the severest of penalties. Yeah, I, I do too. Just, sub, just uh, with one writer on that, that... Uh, that the uh, the penalty fits the crime. That's all. Um, what what I don't want to do is see um, the heavy hand of the police or the firearms registry coming down like a ton on bricks for, uh, of bricks on people's heads for misdemeanours. Okay, and there, and there is a definite tendency for that in the New South Wales police. That's for sure. Yep, so uh, getting on the next question, so with the Game Council, I know they were conducting an expression of interest into our sound moderators, sound moderators for uh, the use of hunting feral animals and gaming species. Do you think there's a valid place in their use amongst, say, you know, at the range or even recreational hunters? Oh, I, I definitely do. Um, I've, I've put this on the table with the government already here in New South Wales, and uh, I'm engaged in discussions with them at the moment about this very issue. I think I think it's something that's going to has got to come to pass because um, it's important, especially if you are fed ink about wanting to help control ferals in New South Wales, that um, that uh, raiders uh, or suppressors be allowed in the hands of, uh, say, for example, our licensed shooters on public land and on private land. Uh, you would you would know, and you're not talking about silences or. Uh, you know anything? Any, sh you're talking about shooting normal velocity, standard velocity ammunition through uh, class A, B firearms only, 
the way the government would look at it would be not dissimilar, I think, to what happens in the UK and uh, in um, in New Zealand, where they're where extensively available and extensively used. Uh, the simple thing is, you've got a registration system, stamp a number on it, and register them. Yep, I don't think I don't think your shooters and and hunters have got a problem with that whatsoever. So I think it's a great idea. Now, uh, we're, you know, we're engaged with discussions uh, in discussions at the moment with the government on that, and. Uh, they they are saying that it's, it would be a coag issue. They need to want to talk to uh, uh, other other you know states to see what their issue is with it all. What they'd be worried about, of course, is the leakage of some of these things across the state borders. Let's get real about it. I mean, if you've got a, a, a suppressor registered to you, are you going to send it send it to Victoria or are you going to send it somewhere else? That's just absolute rubbish. Um, the reality is that uh, you would use it for your own purposes, your own legal purposes, and that's the end of it. Uh, it wouldn't be done in any other way. And besides that, any half-baked fitter and turner can make one of these things in their backyard, in their garage. It doesn't you don't need to be a rocket scientist to make a suppressor? No, so 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 hopefully that's looking, you know, real in the future. Hopefully, so um, talk about hunting in state forest. Do you think? Uh, you know, hunting with the use of firearms is more humane, say, in our state forests than, say, baiting, such as 1080, to control feral animals? No, no question of it. Um, it's also more targeted. That's one of the key benefits of it. And if we had suppressors, instead of shooting one pig out of a mob of five or six or maybe two, we might get three or four. So we'd be in a hell of a lot better situation, whereas 1080 is just a blunt instrument that gets thrown into forests. And all the material that goes along with it, it just destroys the native animals as well as the uh, ferals. It doesn't make any sense. And, and the suffering of the animal too sometimes can be quite considerable. Yeah, well that's always conveniently forgotten about by uh, by the uh, the uh, so-called animal uh, animal welfare advocates. Um, you know, th they would just as soon if just as soon as uh, leave, leave the animals to suffer and die, and then uh, allow some of the other other animals who are then going to feed on them to do the same thing. If you uh, shoot an animal, it's you know, and you shoot it correctly, which by far and above the majority of hunters and shooters do. It's a very humane and very quick way to, to cleanly kill an animal. When you fire a bullet, you know where it's going. That, that's what makes me think sometimes it's not so much is it really about being humane or is it about you know the use of firearms that actually is causing the issue with them, I'd say? I, it's definitely the issue of using firearms that's causing the issue because the issue of firearms is a political issue in the end of the day. And what they, if they can stop us using firearms, then uh, they've got the end result that they want, a, a society controlled. But if, they, but if they truly believed in, you know, animal, you know, feral reduction and, and, and you know, being properly humane... They don't believe in any of that. That's, 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 that's really what it's all about. They, they don't really give a, give, a, give a monkeys about uh, the effect of feral animals on, uh, in national parks or anywhere else. Uh, I've heard it said from many of them that these animals will find their own balance in the, in the native environment. So in other words, what happens is the foxes and the cats find their own balance by destroying the native animals. How's that, how's that now come anyone can live with? <sighs> Sometimes I scratch my head, Robert, I do, I really do. <laughs> so uh, I guess we'll talk about this before, but since stepping into your role with the Shooters Party, you know, I mean, even just to name a few, what are some of the uh, policies the Shooters and Fishers Party are aiming for over the next couple of years? What are a few of the main ones, would you say? Well, I suppose um, the main ones are uh, more legislative changes to the Firearms Act, uh, some uh, major changes to the Game and Feral Animal Control Act, uh, the ones we mentioned earlier, ducks and quail, other game birds, uh, reintroduction of um, private game reserves in New South Wales. Um, I'm also discussing, for example, with the government about introducing a safari uh, bill 
into the house, which will uh, put together once and for all and streamline the safari uh, industry in New South Wales so that, uh, for example, if a foreign hunter wants to come into New South Wales, as you can do, for example, in New Zealand, they can come into a pre-programmed, pre-set-up process where everything is streamlined. They can arrive at the airport with their Class AB firearm, uh, get their lives at the airport like you do in New Zealand, for example, or in Canada or, or in the United, various parts of the United States. Get your firearm, get your licence, and then go out and hunt either with a licensed safari operator or with an R-licensed hunter friend of theirs, either on public or private land. What we're also interested in doing is uh, opening up the timber industry in New South Wales again, start to get it, start to get it cranking again. Um, I'm looking at putting together, I'm just working on it at the moment, a sustainable communities bill, which will uh, look to reopen a number of the uh, state reserves and national parks in New South Wales that were turned into national parks and state reserves that were previously uh, previously uh, first and second generation harvested forests and getting the timber communities in those areas um, going again. And there's, there's other things too, but I'll, I, won't, I won't bore you with them all now. Getting into the next question, how successful has the, say, tri-shooting campaign been with getting new shooters into the sport? I know one of the ranges I go down to, down at St Mary's, uh, on the Saturday has just been flooded with new people. Seems like it's, it's really taking off. I, I think I think that's right. I think the, you know the anecdotal evidence that I've had is that uh, certainly the try shooting days and the, I think it's what the P650s having people sign those as they come through is giving people an opportunity to participate in shooting and decide whether they like it or not and whether they want to get a long term involvement. Um, and again, that was part that's part of the politics uh, of it. If they can lock people out of ranges and strangle down the users and license holders, eventually um, they'll shut our activities down. Well, the introduction of the P650 amendments that Roy put through, I think, what, two years ago now, um, has seen, a, or maybe even longer than that, has seen a, uh, a, a interesting resurgence in the use of firearms on the ranges. Um, it's very important that people get the opportunity to be able to handle firearms and understand the nature of their use and, and uh, where they can be used properly. Uh, I think, um, I'm just trying to remember the numbers, but I think you're probably looking at something like between 2007 and 2011, you're looking at something like a net 25 to 30,000 increase in the number of actual licensed shooters in New South Wales. And that's a big increase. That's a big uplift. That's a net. If that's a net increase, which I think it is, yeah, it's a net increase over that period of time. Well, a lot of that comes down to a whole lot of issues. It comes or, or, or opportunities for the, to try shooting the P650s, uh, the the program for uh, hunter education and and training and testing, uh, the opportunities for people to actually go out and hunt uh, on on uh, state forests and and, pri and more activities for private land shooting. If you bring all these things together. Um, there's there's going to be a significant increase in the long term on the number of people that want to go shooting because shooting is a good sport. People like it. People want to participate in it. And what we what our job is all about is re removing the barriers and streamlining that process. But by by all means, sticking with the law as we're doing it. Exactly. So, um, what's the current status of say the new hilltop range uh, south of Sydney? Has there been any approval on that, or where is that at? Um, my, well, my understanding is hilltops about, I suppose you'd say, a half to, a half way through in terms of completion. It's it's a long way from being completed. There's still a lot of ground. I think basically all the groundworks are, are done, uh, from my understanding. Uh, but there's still a lot of other work that needs to be done out there before you could say it's a fully functioning range. Um, 
you probably could go out there and shoot, but I mean, there's no buildings up there. There's no car park hasn't been done, uh, etc. There's a whole lot more that needs to be done, and uh, we're we're engaged with the government at the moment in having discussions about getting the final tranche of funding in place to be able to finalise the range as soon as we can. Oh, well, that, that seems to be good news then. Is it on, on, on that end? Yeah, we've just got to get it done now. That's the thing. Yeah. So uh, I know they've introduced a uh, fox bounty back in Victoria. Is there any? Chance in New South Wales of that happening sometime in the near future? Um, well, look, we we certainly. I mean, I asked a question in the house about this about a month ago, and uh, my recommendation was that we actually do it. Uh, I think the government's having a look at it, but I don't think they're predisposed to doing it. Put it that way. Um, I th- I'm aware of the fact that they've been asked. Uh, they've asked for some a paper, I think, from the game council. One of the councillors told me the other day that. They've been asked to produce a paper for the government to consider it, but I just don't know at this stage whether they're going to do it or they don't. It would be a good idea if they did do it, especially with spring lambs coming up. It would be a great idea, but I can't really tell you whether they're going to do it or not. Okay, no worries. That's fine. Uh, so uh, getting into what we talked about before, some of the red tape, uh, as in the uh, permit to acquire system, Yeah, would you say it's a valid system in New South Wales? And I guess what purpose does it serve hunters and shooters? Or again, as I said, is it just, is it just red tape? I mean, I know most hunters and shooters don't have a problem with registration of firearms or anything like that. So um, is it a valid system? Look, I, I think the system, uh, the way it is currently run, could be improved significantly. Um, what the firearms registry could do, for example, is put a proper online PTA system in place for firearms dealers, so that uh, as, you, as it happens in Victoria, you should be able to just turn up at the uh, at the um, registry, sorry, turn up at the gun shop and uh, get your PTA online at that time, um, rather than have to go through all the convoluted, um, you know, uh, BS with bits of paper flying all over the place here in New South Wales. I think I know a couple of uh, years back, there, it did change in the laws in regards to, I mean, if you had, say, an A and B uh, in possession, it did, I think any, any gun was a 28-day waiting period, wasn't it? But that was overturned and changed to, so long as you have one in possession, they take away that 28 days? That's right. That, well, that was one of the uh, amendments that Roy fixed. Um, and I think it came about at the same time as the P650 uh, arrangements were changed and reintroduced. Um, you know, for any class of firearm, or um, second or subsequent firearms, you don't need to wait the 28 days. They just have to issue the PTA, which which is a good thing. But like I say, you can streamline that even further and also increase the accuracy and efficiency of the registry by putting a, uh, a online PTA system to each uh, firearms dealer in the state. And that way you don't have any hassles at all with this sort of stuff. You could still maintain the 28 delay in the first uh, um purchase that's fine um, but what should happen and it's not currently happening is your actual application for your license to acquire a license to get an AB firearms license should run concurrently with your first PTA at the at the moment they'll, they'll if you put a, a license application in they'll sit on it for uh, I think it's 28 days, and I just don't see there's any logic in the way it's being done. Yeah, I guess some people, one a fellow, uh, one of the listeners mentioned to me the other day, he's surprised that like even once one firearm is is in possession, it, it wouldn't matter which class it was in, there shouldn't there shouldn't be once you have one in possession, there shouldn't be a 28 yeah, day period delay. So I thought that was quite interesting when he said that. Uh, well, look, I am, look by far and above probably 90 percent of the firearms that have. 95% of the firearms out there that are being owned and used on a day-to-day basis are Class A, B. So they're the ones that really concern us. They, they, get, they get a bit iffy when you start getting to C-Class and Class H as well. 
um, they all look at all very touchy about all these things, and they keep talking about oh, Coag and Canberra and all that sort of thing, you know. So, getting on the next question, what do you say one of the you know, single biggest mistakes made in Australian politics so far, say regarding you know hunting, fishing, or shooting laws? Would you say? Well, I'd say in New South Wales, the biggest single mistake they made was getting rid of the uh, um, the duck season in 1996. Uh, it was politically a pretty clever move uh, from the government's point of view at that time. Um, it was a big mistake for, and this is one of the reasons why we're trying to change it and change the way we do it uh, in New South Wales is because um, it, if you go back to the history of and understand what actually happened at that stage, uh, Bob Carr was trying to get a bill through the uh, upper house and uh, we had uh, Duck Bill Jones, uh, the Democrat, Australian Democrat at that stage, we might have actually been an independent, but I'm not really sure. He he was the advocate for for animals in the upper house, self-appointed, I might add, because no, I don't remember any of them actually any of the animals actually voting for him, especially ducks. <laughs> uh, um, they needed his vote, so uh, he he cut a deal with them that said that if he, they banned duck season, um, they would in he, he would in turn then support their bill. But anyway, the bottom line was uh, it's a lesson for us. Because um, at that stage, in uh, in '96, we had, uh, or it might have been late '95, early '96, we had uh, no inkling of what was going to happen. And uh, even though John Tingle had just been elected in um, early '95, um, the die was cast. Because when Carr went and actually had a, had a look at the political implications for doing this, he found out that I think there were only something like about 1,200, maybe a bit more, duck licenses actually sold in New South Wales every year. Um, duck and duck and quail licences. So, when you actually sat down and looked at the analysis of where those duck licences were being sold, you found out that 800 of them were being sold to Victorians. The problem then was that the lesson from that is that not buying licences, there was no political backlash likely to hit cars. So he just went ahead and signed a piece of paper and said, "Duck season, quail season, gone." And that's why that's why we can't allow that to happen in the future. That's why people have to be uh, have to buy. Uh, game licences, they have to go out and get firearms licences and get politically involved and support. I mean, the Game Council has just gone through 15,000 licences in its licence sales of concurrent concurrent licences. Now, of those, probably 3,000 only, 3,500 would be in Victoria and other places. So, so you've got a growing trend. I might add in Victoria, and it's a different political uh, uh, situation down there, but they've got, if you take their combined duck licences, quail licences, and deer hunting licences, and I might add deer hunting licences are the ones that are growing the fastest, there's over 40,000 licensed hunters in Victoria. So that's where we want to go. Can, I, can only go up from here, I guess, yeah. Well, as long as we keep pushing in the direction and doing what we've been doing, we, we can do it. Now, that's why... Um, Politically, the uh, Shooters and Fishers Party now is also interested in advocating for more than just shooters and fishers. If you take the shooters in New South Wales, there's, uh, there's nearly 185,000. If you take the fishers, there's potentially a million there on top. So you're looking at a constituency now of about 1.2 million, potentially. Uh, that sounds great. So I've got some uh, listener questions here uh, for you, Robert. Uh, I've got a listener, Glenn, he says, um, why does the Shooters and Fishers Party find it so critical to keep pushing the very publicly contentious hunting in national parks issue? Is it not more important to focus on clawing back some of the draconian gun laws that currently exist? That's from Glenn. Well, Glenn, we, we actually can um, walk and chew gum at the same time. Um, what I'm saying there is we can actually do both at the same time. And uh, what I've been saying is uh, 
it's it's it was very publicly contentious to when we started that discussion and that argument politically back in 2002, 2003 and then finally got it up and running in 2006, the national parks issue is no different. Okay, it's no different at all. It's it's not it's not it's it's only publicly contentious amongst people that don't support us. That's really what it's down to. As far as clawing back uh, draconian gun laws is concerned, well. I think that, you know I think our track record's there, and we're just going to continue doing that. So we can do all these things at the same time as part of a broad-based uh, approach to uh, improving things for hunters and shooters and fishers. I might add in New South Wales. Yeah, exactly. I guess just sometimes you know when you know you get these criminals doing the wrong thing, and it just you know really starts to put us back. Well, that's the operative word, Jason. Criminals. They're not us. So not not our, not our not our job. See, a lot of people say, well, why don't you you know such and such happens, or such and such person is shot, obviously a criminal activity. Why aren't you out there defending us? And I say, excuse me, hang on a second. Since when is it my job to defend criminals? You're never going to get me opening my mouth when there's criminal activity going on out there because it's not my job to defend us from the activities of criminals. Yeah, exactly. It's just a shame when people, you know, you've got these you know, Greens and other parties that just, you know, they say, you know, well, obviously there's another gun shooting. Well, let's tighten up laws, but that's not going to, that's still not going to change the situation. That just makes it harder for the sporting shooters. And obviously, again, criminals will get their hands on guns whichever way they want. That's right. Last month, uh, the police minister, Michael Gallagher, was on the record here in Parliament saying, uh, talking about the source of firearms for criminal activity. And, uh, he, uh, he spoke very clearly and very succinctly about the fact that the uh, majority of firearms used in crime are illegally imported into Australia. <laughs> They're not, you know, obviously, a certain number of them do come from stolen firearms. You're not talking about Class AB firearms here. You're talking about pistols mostly. But the majority of them are used, uh, uh, sorry, and or obtained black market from people that have been importing them into Australia illegally. It's just a shame when we get tarred with that same brush, I guess. That's what I'm trying to sort of get Well, part, part of the process of, of uh, not being tarred with the same brush is to make sure that you differentiate yourself from them. And the way we differentiate is not to get out there and argue in, in our own defence when we've got nothing to do with criminals. When, when people, as I said earlier, when people say to me, well, why aren't you out there defending us? I say, well, hang on, since when is it my job to defend you when you're not a criminal? If, if, you know, if... Uh, if, if um, if a criminal gang is out there shooting up each other, that's got nothing to do with the day-to-day -day activities of uh, uh, genuine sporting shooters, or I might even say fishos as well. It's not my job to go out there and advocate and try and differentiate ourselves from them. Our job is on a day-to-day -day basis to show we're different. That's why, you know, the Game Council goes out and promotes uh, voluntary conservation hunting in the in the newspapers in New South Wales. You know, week in, week out. I mean, if you pick up a local paper, you'll see it. Yeah, in saying that, there obviously in regards to this, if I just go back a little bit in the, the national parks issue, um, is that also to get four-wheel drivers as well in there and say fishing and all those type of outdoor activities back on the, as well as just not only shooting? Yep, yep, yep. No, we're, we're talking about everything. We're not just talking about... You know, it, it, it's If you read our policies, it's access for all. And access is the issue, okay? Access is the issue. I mean, what's the point of having it? I mean, if people are doing the right thing, why not get families out there, you know, taking their kids out and, you know, going fishing and four-wheel driving and hunting, I mean, and using, you know, I guess what we were given in regards to the beautiful land we've got in Australia. That's right. That's exactly it. The uh, national parks was, were not set up for the purposes originally, uh, and their objects and intent were not for what they're being used for now. They're, they're, they're being run and used as areas of, of uh, political exclusion. 
not in, not inclusion and enjoyment. The only way that the national parks will be valued and uh, properly uh, preserved in the future is by engagement of the public. Exactly. All right, so we've got a listener, James. He says, uh, where does the uh, Shooters and Fishers Party stand regarding the uh, closure of the Malabar Rifle Range? Huh? Are they going to be assisting any of the members or petitioning against that closure of that range? Yeah, that's exactly what we are doing. Um, where we're standing is at the moment is that uh, we're uh, we're helping uh, the range users, people out there, the SSAA. In fact, I was this morning just talking to the uh, some of the horse riders who come in to have a talk to us about what uh, what they could do and how we could help them. Um, we've said that we'll advocate for them, uh, just as we'll, we're currently advocating, and we'll be continuing to advocate for the uh, the range users, the shooting range users out there as well. Um, the, the, the actual issue is to try and find out exactly what's going on with that range. We suspect that um, what it is is probably part of a deal with the Greens to maximise the amount of votes that Mr Garrard can get at the next election through Green preferences. Um, already, sorry, oh, sorry, not Garrard, Garrett, that's right. Um, the idea being that um, there already was a plan in place that had been published some time ago with the Nature Conservation Council in tow where they were going to turn this thing into a, um, a headland national park, basically, with some public land access for other people. Um, and this would eventually turn into a no-go zone, no doubt. Oh, that's, of course it would. The, the national, so-called national parks uh, portion of it would become a no-go zone. Um, they already have done a couple of blocks out there and rehabilitated them and turned them into national parks. Um, now I think this is the, the second instalment of it coming up. Um, the only thing I can say where we can help them is that the Shooters and Fishers Party will be looking at um, working with the local community to uh, campaign against Mr Garrett in that seat. Um, I think it's an important thing for us to look at. Um, and also we'll be looking at very carefully at what we can do to support any independents that want to run against him at the next election as well. What, every vote that he thinks he's going to get from a Greens preference, we're going to work as hard as we possibly can through the Australian Shooters and Fishers Party see the list of vote on the other side. That that facility out there on that headland has very, very large uh, and deep community support, whether it's for shooters, horse riders, or um, model plane enthusiasts and other people that use it. You know, they, they don't really understand it. You know, he doesn't really understand the depth of feeling uh, around that place. That is a community that is a community common. That's what it is. And let's hope the government doesn't want to destroy, you know, that community, you know, spirit. I guess you'd call it. Well, I think I think the idea is to uh, to encourage the community to uh, stand up and be counted and say, well, we're not just going to cop this, Mr. Garrett. Um, I know talking to the horse riding people that have been in to see me, uh, he won't even have a meeting with them. He won't talk to them. He's staying well away from them. Mm, disappointing. Well, it, it is disappointing. Um, um, and it sounds like that uh, unless he changes his attitude. Yeah. All right. So, Robert, just to sort of last few questions to finish off, tell us a story maybe that, uh, you know, something memorable that sticks in your mind, whether it's a hunting or shooting story or maybe even, you know, a professional story, just to sort of finish off the podcast with the next few questions. Yeah. Give, give us one of your favorite stories, something that sticks in your mind. Favorite stories? Yeah. Something that sticks in my mind. Um well, I've got a lot of stories. <laughs> um, <laughs> no doubt, but prob no doubt. Probably, probably one of the more recent ones was, um, uh, and, it's, and, and in its own little way, it's, 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 it's significant, but in other ways it's probably not. But uh, last year, in, uh, in actually this month last year, in June last year, we did the first inaugural 
public land fox drive in New South Wales ever. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to be I'm uh, going to be part of the one this year over in Oberon, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's where that's where we were last time in that area, and uh, again, of itself, it was an interesting exercise. Uh, we, uh, our club, the Australian Hunters International, and also um, the Pian Hunters, we co-sponsored it, um, and we put it all together and. Well, I suppose we learned a few lessons. We did on the two days. We did probably uh, eight or nine drives. It was bloody cold down there and wet. It is. It is. Uh, but uh, it was great fun, and we probably had forty or fifty shooters. We ended up only think, I think shooting about five or six foxes. But uh, it was a great educational exercise, and I think what it really showed was the uh, the community spirit that can be engendered from uh, hunters on public land in New South Wales. It wasn't so much the result of the number of foxes that were shot, it was just the important indication to me of how really dedicated and how, well really lovely I suppose it's the word to use, um, the attitude of uh, sporting shooters and hunters in New South Wales is. and. And uh, it really, it really made me feel good. I'll put it that way. I don't want to get too emotional about it. it was, yeah, uh, don't want you crying on the podcast. No, no, I won't cry all over the podcast. <laughs> oh, this, that sort of stuff doesn't lead me to crying, believe me. But uh, it was, just, it was good to see that you know blokes were prepared to have a crack, uh, go out and spend a weekend uh, in the in the best traditions of public interest and the interests of uh, native animals in New South Wales. And it was a clear cut indication that. Um, that uh, from a spirit point of view, we're all we're all on the same page, and we can all work together very well. Yep, fantastic. All right, so if, let's say if hunters and shooters wanted to help out the uh, shooters and fishers party, obviously, other than say voting for you guys, what what else can they do? Well, I, my my first suggestion would be to uh, join the party. We need as many members as we can get. It's very very important um, to go online or uh, drop drop us an email, and we'll send you a form out. We need, always need to keep our numbers up. We need to have 750 members at any one at, at every 12-month interval when the electoral commission checks our uh, checks our register. And year we we probably drop you know 40 or 50 off, and we you know people die, people move, we lose contact with them. Uh, they're not on the register so on the um, electoral electoral roll, I should say. Um, so we need to replace them. So we're always chasing new members. So. Uh, one of the best things you can do is spend thirty dollars a year to join the party. That's that's really important. Um, as far as the the rest is concerned, go out and find a friend to take hunting. And if that person doesn't hunt and shoot already, that's all the better. In fact, it's more important. Take them to your local hunting club, your local range, introduce them to shooting, uh, and take them along with you on a hunt. I mean, I get. I get a lot of enjoyment and have done, although I'm not doing as much of it in the last six or eight months as I'd like to. One of the key things I always do and I have done in the past is I, I just like the idea of introducing people to hunting and then organising for them to uh, go out and do hunts. It's, uh, it, it, just, uh, it just furthers the cause, but also introduces people to a whole new um, uh, environment, a whole new way of life where they can go out into state forests in New South Wales, take their family, take their friends, and go out and do a bit of shooting, uh, harvest a few uh, feral animals, and if they're the right type of ones, like a pig or a goat, uh, or even shoot a game animal like a deer, they can then take it home and have the best possible um Meal, yeah, I've, I've Meal, got some yeah. goat waiting for me now, Robert, downstairs, uh, waiting for it to be cooked up tonight, just nicely uh, defrosting down in the sink, so... I'm um, looking forward to having that tonight as well. What state forest did you shoot that in? Uh, Candos. 
Candos. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, there's been a few shot there. A lot of yeah. skates get shot Candos. there. Candos. Quite, 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 yeah. nice, quite a nice little, uh, nice back strap. So hopefully, he tastes, he tastes really good. So, um, I'm so sure yeah. Will be. So, if you, do you have anything? Any final? What's the website? Where can people find uh, the Shooters and Fishers party on the web? It's just uh, www.shootersandfishers.org.au. I think that's what it is. Yep, that's what that's what it is. And that's the best place to go. And you'll see there's not a lot of stuff happening on there at the moment. Uh, the party's very much in hiatus. Um, it, once we once we run a, a political campaign, we spend all the money we've got plus more, and we're just waiting on some more funding to come back through. And then once we get that in, we'll then start to roll the website forward again. Uh, we're also involved on Twitter, so join the Twitter feed. Although at the moment there's not a lot, again not a lot of stuff going through there. If you haven't already been on the site, go go there and uh, download the PDFs on our uh, party uh, position papers and policies, and you'll see that there's quite a lot of stuff there that we cover all sorts. Is of there any possibility stuff. for um, people like you know, volunteering for certain things or? Yeah, yeah, people can people can go on there and volunteer. Um, one of the things I forgot to mention earlier was. Uh, is that we, what we need is some more party branches to be set up. That's very important. Is to go on to the New South Wales government website. Uh, I think it's uh, www.newsouthwalesparliament.gov.au, nsw.gov.au, or just Google up Robert Borzak MLC. Go onto my uh, web page in the government parliamentary website and go to Hansard, and you'll see all the all the uh, the questions without notice and also the speeches that have been made on various bills and adjournment speeches and you'll get a good flavour and a good understanding of the sort of issues uh, that we're trying to cover from time to time. Fantastic. All right, so just to finish off, do you have uh, any messages or any anything to say, say, to the uh, you know shooters, hunters and fishers just before we finish off? Any messages? Uh, go and find a friend to take hunting and shooting. And, and also, while you're at it, take your sons and daughters as well. They're the future, and uh, it's those opportunities that we're creating that we'll make sure that they can exploit so that um, we'll end up in a better position in 20 or 30 years from now as far as hunters and shooters in New South Wales are concerned, and not a worse one. I mean, I, I will comfortably predict that uh, the hunting and shooting sports in New South Wales, if not Australia, are on an upward curve, and um, what we're going to see is uh, major improvements over time, but incrementally. You're not going to see uh, major improvements in big big changes. What you're going to see is a slow but steady increase in the number of hunters, a slow but steady increase in the number of shooters, and a slow but steady increase in the availability of fishing opportunities. And the Shooters and Fishers Party will be uh, a key to that whole process. So it's important to join the party, take a friend hunting and shooting, and uh, make sure that you uh, get out there and uh, support in every possible way you can at your local club. If you're if you're a game council tester, go and find another one. If you're a firearm safety tester, go out and find another one. If there's an opportunity to write something for the local paper, do that as well. All right, that was fantastic, Robert. Thanks for coming on the show. I uh, really appreciate it. I know a lot of people are going to listen to this and... Um, as I said previously to the start of the podcast, a lot of people had a lot of questions and I fortunately we can only get through the ones that we got because you're on limited time, but I'm sure hopefully the Shooters and Fishers Party goes well in the future. And uh, as I said, take people out hunting, get them into the sport. That's the best way to go about it. So thanks for coming on the show, Robert, and uh, have a great day. Thanks very much, Jason. I'll talk to you soon. You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. 
brought to you by AussieUsedGuns.com.au, the premier classifieds of new and used firearm sales. Thanks for listening. See you next time.